listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It is the 8 o'clock hour on Valentine's Day. Don't forget, guys. Don't forget. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. It's time for Pat Kerwin. He of NFL Radio's Move of the Chain, CBS's NFL Today show. Pat's weekly appearances brought to us courtesy of Pinchers, Tampa to Key West, over a dozen locations in between Pinchers because you can't fake fresh so what was it like to see your friends and family for the first time in over two weeks oh it was great everything was great until i heard you guys talking about valentine's day and who kentucky's gonna play now, <laughs> if you take your wives out for dinner tonight don't bring up the southeast conference schedule please <laughs> that will not be the initial Wait, conversation hold, i may work it in by dessert hold on a second this is the same guy who in the middle of the season okay brings offensive line coaches on to talk about the A-gap and the B-gap. You're giving us a problem about the SEC schedule, Grid? I'm not giving you a problem. I'm just warning you. I know what happens when you start doing what I do. And, you know, <laughs> here, here I am with you two. But you look like you got a chance to have decent lives. Earn back. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You don't need to go down my trail. All right, Pat, the Super Bowl. Just uh, your your thoughts on what was a tremendous, tremendous game. Well, let's start with, what, start with what failed for Philadelphia. I mean, it's pretty simple to me. The pass rush failed and the running game failed. Uh, Hertz was going to get his, but the running game itself, Gainwell Sanders in Boston, 17 carries for 45 yards behind that great offensive line. What's that tell you? They failed. And the pass rush, the stubbornness, and I'll use the word stubbornness, of thinking my four-man rush is going to get there. Oh, my four-man rush is going to get there. Let's try that four-man rush. It never got there. No sacks in the game, 27 throws. So those are the two things that went the wrong way for Philadelphia in the game. A little disappointed in the field and the slipperiness and all that business. And every team that says, yeah, we're going to do what Arizona does. We're going to have a grass on trays. We're going to leave it outside. Bring it. I don't know. I don't think I think that was set back (laughs) a hundred years. So that those things. Hertz was going to be the MVP if they won the game, and I think everyone would agree with that, even though he fumbled, which might have been the biggest problem in the game. Um, subbing out your backup punter for your returning punter, and then he hits the line drive, which turns into the Kadarius-Tony return. Uh, those those were interesting plays, but at the end of the day, it was the Mahomes show and the guts that guy has. Uh, I stood on the field in the Bengal game and watched him hop around the field and win. And then he got hurt again in this one, and he's just phenomenal. And when they started, look, we we thought the tight end stuff, they might be able to handle Kelsey. They kept him to six, but he got a touchdown. We thought five would be not enough for them to win. Uh, But when they got to Juju and the other guys, it just tells you about how really talented Mahomes is. So uh, at the end, I think the right team won. At the very last thing we did on Saturday before, on our pregame show, I said, uh, Jimmy took Philly. I said, I'm taking Kansas City, and they're going to win on the last play of the game with a field goal. And all week I thought Philly would win. But the more I thought about Mahomes and Andy Reid, maybe this is the last thing I'll say. Andy Reid is maybe the greatest play developer, not play caller. He develops concepts that knock people really from 
they don't even know how to play the guy when he has all these crazy ideas and the players execute him all the time. Well, there's no doubt to get two guys that wide open, that close to the goal line for back-to-back touchdowns was remarkable. I mean, normally the only way you see that is if somebody falls or if somebody gets picked, and neither happened on both of those plays. Back to the field, Pat. If you're the NFL, do you say, listen, uh, we've let you do this now your way for three Super Bowls, and you even, we were paying attention, did this way for the national semifinal TCU against Michigan, and guys are constantly slipping and sliding. You need to get turf. Don't know what to tell you. You don't have a vote anymore. It's not working. You need to get turf. Do you think the NFL does that? Because you know they want Phoenix in the every seven-year Super Bowl rotation, but you can't keep having this as an issue. No, you can't. Um, they can say, basically, if you don't get the field changed, we're not going to give you a Super Bowl. But George Toma is retired, and they hired him. He's the Mr. NFL Fields. No one's ever complained about the guy before, but he said the field would be fine, and it wasn't. I also think and this maybe this is not wild asleep, but you can't put all that paint on these fields. And go look at all the signage and signatures and all the junk they paint onto the field. That last field goal kick, did you see when he moved to the middle of the field to set up the middle of the field kick? Guess where the holder was? Right in the paint. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, if he slips on, after all that's gone on, if that kicker loses his footing when he sticks his plant foot in the ground, you know, they'll be held to pay. But the NFL is just, they don't tell people what to do in that. They just don't pick him again for Super Bowl. They pick another city. You mentioned it, Patrick Mahomes. Um, this is rarefied air, obviously, with the MVPs and the two Super Bowls. But just his performance uh, being able to pull off the run, being able to to throw some of the balls he did. And the fact of the matter is, Patty didn't have his best game. No, he had, uh, he had a remarkable game considering the circumstances he was under um, and all the threats of what this pass rush is going to do. And then he was able to, look, there were no sacks, but he also avoided about three or four of them uh, as shifty as he could be. Childress says this all the time. They study crazy stuff like how many times can you run for first down as a quarterback? They know the magic number is three. If you get three rushing first downs from a scrambling quarterback, you have a, the percentage risk of you winning the game goes way up. And uh, he did run for three first downs on those scrambles. And those things are huge. They don't They don't show up as anything big except he didn't throw an incompletion and punt. He didn't come up short and have to punt. He moved the chains, and considering his physical condition, uh, it was awesome. First down on a, a, a when he ran, I think, for 14 yards. Another one, obviously, when he ran for 26 yards. And another one, I believe, he ran for three yards. So those kind of hidden things are, are part of the magic of Pat Mahomes. Well, Buddy Ryan, of all people, said this with Randall Cunningham in the late 80s. He said, most games in the NFL are decided by seven points or less. So basically a one-play game. I got a quarterback that I think can run for three or four first downs. That gives me nine to 12 extra snaps to make that one play. And if you think about it, you know, three rushing first downs, in theory, that's nine extra snaps. A game decided by three points. You know, fill in the blanks accordingly. Uh, 
listen, the NFL should send Bradbury millions of dollars, millions of dollars for the way he handled it afterwards and for saying, yeah, I grabbed him, I held him. Uh, he did say, you know, I kind of thought I'd get away with it. You know, it's kind of how the game has gone. But, you know, he stood up and said, hey, it was a penalty. Okay, he put the fire not... out immediately. Immediately. Okay. And and God knows the damage that might have been done in the city of Philadelphia if he hadn't, unfortunately. But, Pat, your thoughts on, you know, we say there's holding on every play offensively. Okay. So it's just a matter of what you're going to decide to call. Well, they didn't call an offensive holding. They didn't call a defensive pass interference or holding the whole game until there was under two minutes to go. Okay. But at the end of the day, did you agree with the call? Yeah. I hate that. I, I was, I felt bad for Philly that they called it, but you got to call certain things. They didn't call a lot of penalties, you know, me and penalties. I was very pleased that they kept the game to minimal amount of penalties. Uh, but yeah, it was what it was. And what we don't know is how many times that ref almost called it on Bradbury. And we can sit here and say, we all, we don't study the tape. And I'll watch the, the coach's tape probably today or tomorrow. But we don't know how many times he was really getting ready to throw that flag on him and finally had enough of it. So there's a lot of shifty route running by those players. Well, and Pat, remember, we pointed this out yesterday. Early second quarter, the Eagles have made it 14-7. And the Chiefs had a third and six, I think it was. And they tried to hit Schuster over the middle. And Bradbury grabbed them and twirled them. And it wasn't called. Thank you. And the Chiefs had to punt. Okay. And so it was ironic, to say the least, that on a play in which he might have grabbed them less than he did in the second quarter, that was when the flag was thrown. Yeah. And that's my point about when you go back and study, you realize that Either he was being warned or the ref was letting it go, but realizing I'm not going to let him have another one of those. That happens. Uh, in regards to the Philly fans going, they went crazy anyway, apparently after the game in downtown Phoenix. But behavior is really getting a little dangerous around this world when it comes to sport losing. And it might have started with soccer and the stadiums and all that business 25, 30 years ago, but it's it's getting a little ridiculous now. We have to be very careful uh, about what fans think they're entitled to do after a loss. It's mob mentality, and it's never been pretty. You mentioned earlier that the pass rush failed, and there's no doubt that it did because they didn't sack Mahomes. Were they ill-prepared to make a change when they weren't getting sacks, Pat, I mean, was it a was it a matter of being too stubborn to not blitz or not being prepared to blitz if the four man rush didn't work? Well, I think every coach I've ever known is prepared to blitz when they're supposed to. Usually, it comes as an order from the head coach. Greg Robinson was playing with Denver. He's a DC, and they're playing the Packers. And Mike Shanahan turned to Greg and said, "Keep bringing the heat." So the head coach put the green light on it, and they were blowing Favre up at the end. So the head coach is really the one who's got to say, your four-man rush ain't getting there, Brinks, and especially when he got hurt right before half. It's time for the Sharks in the water. you got to be blitzing inside and forcing him to his left, right? That's what everyone wanted to do. We all saw in the Cincinnati game when he got to his left, he was having a hard time switching his weight so he could throw the ball. So – 
if the head coach doesn't give you the green light and the guy keeps thinking my four, remember 57 of those 78 sacks were from the front four. Um, the head coach is the one who's supposed to say, turn up the juice. We've got about 20 seconds here, but the defensive coordinator interviewed for the Arizona job. If you're Arizona, the fact that, you know, he didn't do a very good job in the second half. Would that influence the decision-making at all, or is being a head coach a different? Well, he's never been a head coach, so they don't even know if he can be that. But I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have brought him in the room in Arizona and turned the lights off and put the film on and say, let's go one play at a time and tell me every thought you had. Because that's the one thing I can find out if he knows how to be a head coach. Because that's what they're going to do when he is a head coach on Mondays after the game. He's Pat Kerwin, NFL Radio's Moving the Chain, CBS's NFL Today show. His weekly appearances brought to us courtesy of Pinchers. More with Pat Kerwin on the other side. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 21 minutes past the hour. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. Longtime Heat broadcaster and sometime assistant coach, Tony Quarantino, to join us. Talk to some Miami Heat in the next 20 minutes. Our remaining moments with Pat Kerwin. NFL Radio's Moving the Chain, CBS's NFL Today Show. Pat joins us once again, courtesy of Pinchers, Tampa to Key West, a whole bunch of points in between Pinchers because you can't fake fresh. Well, Pat, the NFL turns the page pretty quickly. You know, you and I talked, we talked a little bit during the break, the unrestricted free agency, but the next part's coming now as we're going to start seeing players released. You know, Derek Carr's the big talk, but how many, I mean, this is basically bloodletting week for the NFL as they're going to start getting rid of a lot of players and start getting cap casualties coming at us hot and hot and heavy, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So, I mean, when you're in pro personnel, which I was for a long time, it's not just the free agents. You can go hit print and l- learn who they are, but you got to go through every contract and look at the guys that have all kinds of issues or the cap and the team has cap structural problems and they got a dump guy. So bubble players are all over the place. And some of them will take, obviously, restructured deals. Zeke Elliott, guys like that. Leonard Fournette, Derek Carr, you mentioned. What's Ryan Tannehill doing? Wentz, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Mariota. You know, I keep going here. I got my own whole book of just bubble contracts where guys might have to go. Frank Clark. um, There's a lot of them out there. Um, and they're going to have to look. The agent's going to have to look and say, if I let my guy go to free agency, he's going to be on a big fat list. Or uh, we're going to let him cut our guy because we think the free agent list is weak or the draft is weak. So you got to make those kind of economic decisions if you're the agent and the club knows which ones are going to be in there. Wide receivers, lots of guys that could be on that list that the contract's kind of fat and you just wonder, are they living up to the contract? So to me, cap casualties um, sometimes are even more interesting than the free agent list. The last couple of years, it's been tight with the cap. The cap actually went down and stayed down for a couple of years. This year, it's going up uh, a little less than $20 million It's going up. When you look at where teams are right now, are they in a better position cap-wise than they have been the last couple years, or basically is it like most people in everyday life? You live according to your income, and are teams just as much over the cap now as they have been? 
there'll be 10 teams that are, are destined to be uh, over the cap and they're projected to be over the cap. So the first thing I do is go to the teams that are projected to be over the cap. I mean, they have ways to get under the cap, but if you're projected to be over the cap, I'm going to look right at your big fat contracts and say, well, which guys are you going to deal with? So let's just use the Eagles for a second. Not much over the cap. Scheduled to be a million over the cap, which is literally nothing. But they have 11 starters. 11 starters on the free agent list. And they have basically enough guys, 19 guys, that are going to be uh, unrestricted free agents. So are they going to be able to secure them? Look at the defensive line. Some of them will retire. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave. Just keep James Bradbury is on that list. Kaiser White's on the list. T.G. Edwards is on the list. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, pretty good player. Marcus Epps. So they got a lot of defensive starters that are out of contract, and they don't have any cap space. So let's say they want to bring back one or two of those guys. Now I just go and start looking at their contracts going, I did the contracts for a long time. So just look at them and say, who are they going to try to restructure, which means I don't get my hands on them, and who are they going to release? And the agents are going to call around to clubs and go, hey, should I should I let him release my guy? Are you interested in my guy? Yeah, if he's free, we'd talk about him. So I think you're going to see all that going on. So first thing I did on Monday morning was look at the Eagles and the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are in tremendous shape. They got $11 million in cap space, which is not a lot, but they're really only dealing with six starters. Uh, so they they could they could ha- they could keep their team if they want to, um, and obviously Philadelphia can't. That'd be the first example I bring up of how to study teams and their cap situation, and all those bubble players. Where do you think Carr ends up? I think you got to be really careful with Carr about who thinks they should go get him. Uh, a lot of what happens to him might have something to do with, uh, let's see, uh, the man in the dark today, day two of the four man <laughs> in the dark. I told Aaron Jones when I was running, talking to their running back, we talked for about 15 minutes, and at the end of it I said, hey, do me a favor. Go in that room, turn the light on, and ask him what he's doing. <laughs> and he didn't get it at first, and then he stopped and started laughing just like you did, David. I go, you know, because that's going to help me understand what's going on. Give me a call. If you turn a light in and ask him what he's going to do and he answers you, call me. But so your car question turns into what's Rogers doing? Well, you know, who, who's what's going to happen is they're going to go to the spot where they think, wow, maybe we should be interested in Garoppolo because he might be more attainable for car. I think the Jets would love to get Rogers. I talked to someone in at the Jet Group, and they they still think they're gonna, you know, they have a shot at that. And I asked him, you should ask Rogers if he wants to follow Brett Favre's pattern, because that's where Favre went. He may not want to do that. He's odd enough that he may not want it. I don't know. I think Carr might land up in New Orleans. He knows he doesn't have to do anything. He's gonna get cut today before my show's over, and then he land up wherever he wants. I think that's a viable place. Look at that division. That division doesn't have a quarterback in it. The whole place is a mess. Atlanta, Tampa, forget it, Carolina. You know, so I think I think Carr should go to a nice small city. I don't know that he's cut out for the big city with twenty-five newspapers covering you. 
I have to admit, Pat, I don't fully understand like Aaron Rodgers' contract. His cap hit for this year is thirty-one and change. Yeah. But his dead cap hits nearly a hundred million, and he's going to get nearly sixty million in cash. And when you trade a guy, then you know future bonuses have to immediately like I'm trying to figure out what is the Packers' cap hit if they trade him. It seems as if it's monstrous. It's the same as if he was cut. Everything moves forward, and you have to take care of the whole thing. So, personally, I think he's going to be in Green Bay, but he's holding out this mysterious path that he might be on. I don't think the Packers have a choice but to keep him. Well, I was going to say his dead cap hit, if you cut a guy, your dead cap hit, it's $99.8 million. So how can they trade him? Yeah, there is some structure in his contract. I have to read it again. I haven't read it in a while, but. Personally, I would be keeping him because your best chance to win is with him. Sooner or later, they're going to have to find out if the other guy can play. Uh, and there's probably a lot of trepidation about him ever being any good. So I don't know. But your question was Carr. And, uh, I mean, you got a couple of crazy owners right now. Maybe it's Carolina. Well, the quarterback class is awful. So when you, you don't if you can't trade for Rodgers and if you can't get cards, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then there's just a bunch of parts. So this will be fascinating of what teams think they can do with the quarterback position because there are far more jobs out there than there are quality quarterbacks. Correct. Pat, in ten seconds, okay, did Jalen Hurts' performance dramatically change the type of quarterback that teams are now going to draft? No, everyone keeps saying that. Like we've been watching athletic runaround quarterbacks for a while. There's just not a lot of Jalen Hurts. Do you think that kid in Alabama can run the G power, which he runs, or the quarterback sweep? He'll go right to the hot, they'll have the ambulance on the sidelines. No, there's not a lot of guys like him. Now the real question is Jalen Hurts' contract. <laughs> yeah, he's got one year left at $4 million, but if you let that come and go, you're going to be in the same position that Baltimore's in. Where you're threatening to use a franchise take. They every they better suck it up. Jalen Hurts deserves more money than Kyler Murray. So just in case people forgot what Kyler Murray got, 230 million, 46 million average. That's what Jalen Hurts is getting. And that's what Deshaun Watson got as well, fully guaranteed. So there's no doubt it's going to get dicey for the Eagles in negotiations with Hertz. Pat, as always, thanks for your time. Be well. We'll talk again soon. Pat Kerwin from NFL Radio joining us here on Miller & Moulton. Tony Fiorentino is next. Welcome back to Miller & Moulton. Only on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes before the hour. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network. FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Thanks so much for being with us. You missed any part of the show, like David Sampson and Pat Kerwin. Download the podcast, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. FloridaSportsNetwork.com. That's where you can find every hour is its own podcast. Listen, if you want to talk Miami Heat, Mark... There are three people to get. And if you can't get Riley and you can't get Spo, you talk to Tony Fiorentino, longtime Heat broadcaster, former Heat assistant coach. You follow him on Twitter at TonyHeat3XWC, you know, three-time world champion. TonyHeat3XWC. 
WC. Tony, it's David and Mark once again. Thanks for doing this. How are you? Sure. How are you guys doing? Well, we are doing very well. And our first question is pretty simple. When you look at the heat right now, what is it that you see? That's a good question. <laughs> You're seeing a team that um, they're still trying to find their way a little bit because they've they've had a ton of injuries. You never want to use it as an excuse because that just gives the players an out. Gives it, but but the reality of it is, when you've got a team that um, needs to be functioning on all cylinders. And you have certain guys out at certain times during the year. It kind of upsets the flow. And um, it seems like the Heat plays to the level of their competition. You know, they have to win a game at the buzzer against the Rockets. I think the Rockets have the worst record in the NBA. And then they go to Orlando. Even though Orlando's got a poor record, they've been playing very well lately, Orlando. You know, the Heat had to come back from 10 down to win the game, and they did. And then last night, they're playing a team with the best record in the West. You know, very good team, very good. Uh, they, they, they're a 500 team on the road, uh, Denver. And it comes down to the end of the game again. I, I saw Scott Hastings before the game. He used to play for us the first year. And Dennis Scott was there for NBA TV. And um, I said to the both of them, I said, why don't we just save everybody a lot of time tonight? Let's make it right now. Start the game with two minutes on the clock, four-point game, Denver. Up. <laughs> okay, and then you know what happened? It was with two minutes left in the game, Denver was up six. <laughs> I was uh, I was almost right. <laughs> well, in that, You knew it was going to be that type of game. And then two things happened near the end where the Heat had been making the breaks. They didn't get them last night. Well, number one, they're down four. They run a great out-of-bounds play again. And they get a layup for uh, Jimmy Butler, and he missed it. And it would have put him down two with a chance to, you know, maneuver the last half a minute of the game. And then there was a goaltending call on Jimmy where the team uh, was down. He was down four, and they called goaltending on him where the, the, the Heat would have been down two, and they took it away. And so, uh, and it was, the ball was in the cylinder. It was just, he was a half a second too early. And so those two factors down the stretch kind of stifled the heat. And then they, you know, um, uh, Max Struess tried to, with, uh, he made his first two free throws with the heat down three late in the game. And he missed the, the, the free throw on purpose to try to get it back to shoot the three. And, and, and they got it. So it was, it went right down to the wire like all the games are. Offensively, do they have enough to challenge all the way through the postseason, Tony? I mean, they are a team that plays great defense, but can they score enough in today's NBA where it seems that every night someone's getting to 130, 140? It's a good question because they, they, they're they 30th, they're last in the league in field goal percentage and scoring. And the, the one stat that's got everybody puzzled and bamboozled here because – Last year, they led the NBA in three-point field goal percentage. This year, 28 out of 30. Only Houston and Charlotte are the two teams that are shooting worse from the three-point line. It doesn't make much sense, except for the fact that you can't really get any kind of rhythm when you got guys out so much. When you look at the games missed by the Heat, 
I think they're right up there among the, the leaders in the league for most games missed by primetime players. You know, Jimmy Butler has missed 16, Heroes missed 13, Lowry 14, Oladipo 32, um, Duncan Robinson has missed 30. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, you know, what's interesting, and not too many people uh, 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 recognize this, the Heat were, 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 were um, toying with the idea, thinking of, of starting Omir Yurtsevin, the seven-foot kid from Turkey, who last year, when Bam was out, had like three or four games of 16 or more rebounds. He averaged about 12, 13 rebounds a game when Bam was out with the hand surgery last year. And he hasn't played a minute. He, he hurt his ankle. He got ankle surgery. They're expecting him back in a week or two. And it, it, the plan was that they were experimenting with him starting at center and Bam at power forward. And then you bring guys like Martin off the bench, uh, uh, Caleb Martin and guys like that, and now you've got a good rotation going. But it never materialized. So the, 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 everything's been sideways so far this year for the Heat. Um, you, you hope that with, with uh, 30-something games or 20-something games left, that they can uh, find some kind of rhythm going into the, you know, the last quarter of the season and then uh, ha- you know, get into the top six so you don't have to play you know, into, the, into the playoffs and then go from there. Is Duncan Robinson a lost cause at this point? Uh, because obviously his game is one that you would think, you know, he kind of fills a couple of the areas where the Heat could use some help, but it seems going back to late last year and now he got hurt this year, it just seems as if, you know, he's just on the outs. No, he's not a lost cause. I, I, you know, he, he hurt the shooting hand. He hurt the book finger or whatever it was on his right hand. So that's going to take a little more time as opposed to the non-shooting hand. But, um, again, he's been out a long time, you know, missing all those games I mentioned earlier. Uh, and who knows uh, how long it will take to get back into rhythm. But you got to feel that if he was available in some of those, you know, that percentage wouldn't be so bad for the Heat. And there were games when somebody's not shooting the ball well. You know, sometimes Struess doesn't shoot well. Robinson would be in, and he had, you know, he had some unbelievable games last year for the Heat, and he had some earlier in the season. You know, you got to feel that it, 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 he would have, have affected maybe some of those close losses to win. So uh, that's part of the uh, the um, trying to figure out where he fits in as well with the rest of the guys and see how this team can put it together. You know, one of the things you keep in the back of your mind is that they always seem to figure things out with, with, with you know, with Riley at the helm and Spolstra running the, the show with, from, on, the, on the court, that they seem to figure it out. They, 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 you've got championship-type players, you know, in, in, in Lowry and Butler, and, you know, we know how good Bam can be, you know, very well-deserved all-star. And, uh, and we know how, you know, heroes averaging over 20 a game. And so there, there, there's a lot of potential there, but you're running out of time. So you hope there's enough games left where they can put it together. It, you know, it really sounds more like anything, Tony. Not only do they have to get healthy, but you talk about the three-point percentage. To find that rhythm, they need games, they need time, and they're running out of that right now. Well, what, what also affects that is when you keep changing the rotation. 
you know, um, there is something to be said with something like Max Struess, where he shot 41, 42% last year, and he's down in the 30s now, low 30s. And part of it is he starts some of the games, some games he doesn't, you know, comes off the bench. Uh, he's, he's playing a different position sometimes than what he was accustomed to, and that can throw you off a little bit. And it's not an excuse. It's just you're trying to figure out why a great, really, really good shooter can have such an off year. And it's always been a debate that I've had with people over the years. It's like a baseball player. How can a guy who, you know, maybe a 300 hitter, he bats uh, 260, 270 a certain year, just has an off year. That certain guys in pro sports have an off year. And, or they're up and down during the year. And this, this is what's happening with the heat right now. Um, but the bottom line is, and there's a two-edged sword, the Heat can beat anybody on a given night anywhere, but they also can lose to anybody anywhere on a given night. So that that's uh, <laughs> that that's a wide spectrum there. And Tony, final question: Is it possible that the playoffs will actually kind of cater towards how the Heat play? They're a top three defensive team, and you got to figure the playoffs. Even though this league now is, you know, who can score one twenty-five first, that the playoffs probably won't be that way. And so, in a sense, will the playoffs kind of bring the style of play closer to how the Heat are used to playing, like to play? And the games are usually close in the playoffs, and nobody plays as many close games as the Heat. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, there's a lot, a lot in what you said. The, 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 uh, you, to win games, you've got to play defense in the playoffs. You've got to play defense and rebound. All right? So, on one end, the Heat play that type of defense. They don't have to take it up a notch or two. They already have it. Some teams don't play very good defense all year and then think they're going to try to get, get to that level uh, in the playoffs when, you, when you're playing the most intense games. It doesn't work that way. So, the Heat are geared like that. And maybe um, the other side of it is, uh, for example, last night what really hurt the Heat was the paint points that Denver scored. You know, the Heat are very good, one of the best in the league, maybe the best in the league at defending the paint. And last night they gave up 58 points in the paint, but they usually give up 40-something. So I think if if they can get Yurtsevin back healthy and plug him in there with Bam, that the rebounding will improve because he's a rebounding machine. So there's a lot of variables involved, but there is, there are possibilities there. It's not like you, you know, you're going into the playoffs and you got no shot, especially with a team that's been there, you know, was in the finals a few years ago, came within a shot last year, getting to the finals. You know, that mentality among the players is that, you know, they go out there and they expect to win, not that they're hoping to win. So this is going to, this is going to be very interesting the last 20-something games of the season in the playoffs. Tony, we're always appreciative of your time and your insight. Hopefully we can catch up again on the eve of the playoffs. All the best. You got it. Anytime, guys. Tony Fiorentino, longtime Heat broadcaster. Before that, an assistant coach. Follow Tony on Twitter, TonyHeat3XWC. It stands for three-time world champion. Tony Heat. 3XWC, Tony Fiorentino joining us here on Miller and Moulton. Right now, they're the sixth seed. They'd face the Sixers in the first round. And if you think that, you know, maybe Brooklyn's going to fall out, 
now with no Kyrie, no KD, and if the Heat can stay above the Knicks, maybe, Mark, they move up to the five, and that's probably Cleveland in the first round. That's a much more desirable playoff series, the veteran Heat against the young Cavs. But right now you're looking at Philly in the first round for Miami. Either way, they've got to get healthy. But the mm-hmm. the point that he made, you can't just go from being one of the best three-point shooting teams to being one of the worst and expect to win in today's NBA game. You, you can't do it. I don't think either of those playoff series is, are desirable at all, actually. But I get what you're no. saying with the experience, you know, obviously. Well, yeah, and, and the style of play. But there's no doubt Cleveland will be far more dangerous this year with Donovan Mitchell. But oh, yeah. by the way, how about a Philly – Miami playoff series. How about just Embiid against Adebayo for two weeks? I mean, that that's old school. You know, we, there's only like five of those guys in the league, Mark. I mean, you know that that's actually a series for those of us who like the ball going in to the post and what on the elbow and things like that. Oh wow, I'm used to this kind of basketball. Yeah, somebody that's... plays with his back to the basket. Yeah, God forbid. Right. Right. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me the ball's going through the big and then you got Harden and Butler and, you know, I mean, that I'd pay for that series. That would interest me. Huge coaching advantage too. Spo against Doc Rivers. Uh, that's a big, big advantage. Sorry. I think, I think you mean Glenn Rivers because he ain't, he ain't no Doc. <laughs> well, you win a title. <laughs> that carries for even 15 years later. It's still Doc. Yeah. Three Hall of Famers. Don't discount it. I won't. But I mean, Felipe, you can on. pick your narrative however you want, but it came for you to start knocking Miami Heat opponents and you jumped on the bandwagon again. Right now, hey, avoid the play-in if you're the Heat. That's the thing right. I'd like and to tell you to We do. will, and we'll win the play-in if we make the play-in. We Yeah, we. Will. We. We will. Miller and Moulton. So a little David Sampson, a little Pat Kerwin. A rowdy Felipe. We, we, do we teed him up there after the Tony Fiorentino? Look at that. The idea of the play-in honked him off that much that he did a triple we. I know. He's only like a game and a half out of the play-in. I mean, uh, take it Or easy a half game. Though. Okay. Or a half game ahead of oh, the Knicks Oh, that's right. right they lost to the Knicks one. Exactly. They're a half a game ahead of the Knicks. Miller and Moulton. Tampa St. Pete, Lake City, Port Charlotte. Thanks for listening. We'll do it all over at 6. The bonus hour is next.